Hello, everybody, and welcome to Documentation Not Included. It's Thursday, 7 p.m. BST. We're live on twitch.tv slash DNI stream. It is time for the next show in our developer job series, episode version 2.11, Migration Mumbles. I am Josie Howarth, and as always, I am joined by the blue diamond to my lump of coal, my co-host, Chris Seabach. I'm going to ask a quick question before I read my part of the script. 2.11 or 2.11? I don't know. I usually go with 11 because it's an 11. What would you say, Mark? 11. Okay. I would always do 2.11. But anyway. I, um, <laughs> well, see, to me, 2.11 makes me think there should be a dot included. So no, I would no, think it would be 2.1.1. No. Like, like someone may have missed it. or a Nothing is implied. Dropped. Nothing is implied in the <laughs> development world. Everything is explicit or or nothing. Anyway, Hence right. 11. So hello, everybody in chat. Um, thank you very much for coming along. There is already a few little people, uh, little things going on in little chat. People? So Little people. I didn't mean it that way. Um, <laughs> so yes, if you do have anything to say during the show, we are live. So please do get involved. Um, we will read out anything that is interesting, relevant, or funny. First of all, let me introduce our guest, Mark Walsh. Mark has been on the show before. He is a senior developer. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners, Mark, can you please introduce yourself and um, tell tell people what you're here for? Yeah, so um, I'm a tech lead of a startup based in Liverpool. Uh, and I've been through a lot of a lot of migration hell. Uh, so that's basically why I'm here. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> fair enough. Well, that's fair enough. Very and of course, concise. That is an exceptionally concise thing. I, I could, I would love to look at your code someday. So before we get going, though, as always, we have an icebreaker question. It's a chance for us to ask something utterly and completely random that has nothing to do with anything and gives you a chance to get to know us better. And nine times out of ten, it has absolutely nothing to do with development. So. Your question for today, my friends. <clears throat> if you could only speak using one word today, what one word would that be and why? Oh, you'd have to add the why. I, yeah, I, I was content, content with just the word without explanation. <laughs> oh, um, I have to think about the why. <laughs> Wow. I think, okay, I think I've got one. Eh. Eh? As in, H? eh? <laughs> you know, like Zach Dingle on, on Emmerdale or, or whatever, you know, eh? <laughs> I've never seen Emmerdale. Well, it's one of his things, he goes, eh? And then answers people anyway. Just because yeah. it's just universal. You can, you know, you can say eh to con confirm something. You can say eh to ask a question. You can say eh to, I mean, I'd probably use an expletive to be fair over all of that, but... I think that's probably the first place most of our brains went to, let's be honest. Not mine. Oh, okay. Well, well I, I guess, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's, for me, there's two. It would either be zoomies, because I do that anyway, or it would be bugger, because you can just say it for absolutely everything and anything. Like, if something is really cool, it's like, bugger. And if something is really horrible, it's like, bugger. Well, that's an you expletive know? in England. It's, Bugger, isn't it? It's, is it's, it, isn't it? It's a it's, mild expletive. Yeah. Mild? Yeah. It actually has a, a literal meaning as well, which I'm not going to explain. Please go and look it up on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> there I are other there, fake dictionaries I, out there. 
Yeah, see, for me, it would be zoomies, or it would it would be it would be that zoomies in the sense of like zo so zoomies to me means a dog that's going crazy, but yes, uh, we call yeah. that mad half hour. <laughs> yes, it's a mad uh, half hour. Zoomies. <laughs> well, I say zoomies for a lot of different things. So I say zoomies when excited. You know, it's yeah. just it's it's a thing. I I, I love the slash r. Um, so yeah. So uh, I think mine would be, mine would be yes, but I'm going to caveat that with. That's a dangerous only, one. Only, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only reason it is it's yes is because I would probably carry out whatever was asked of me as well as a bonus. So not only would it be saying yes, but I'd be doing whatever was asked of me. That'd be a long be, day. That'd be a very long day, and <laughs> I'd like to know where it'd end up. Well, see, there's there's actually a, a talk that someone did about that, you know, saying yes to absolutely everything. What happens if you do say yes to absolutely everything? And there's this, it's a self-help kind of a thing to it. So it would be interesting. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. <laughs> so there's our icebreaker. All right, good stuff. Right, so anyway, today's show is about migrations. The wonderful, wonderful world of migrating code, specifically. We're going to try and keep it as non-technical as possible, but obviously we will be giving you some examples of technical migrations, as Mark Mark is currently in the process of doing that, has, and, and both of us have had lots of experience of migrating code. Um, so to start off, Mark, let's give our audience a, an explanation of, of what a code migration is, if we can do that in a concise way. <laughs> I don't know about concise. Practice um, your concise methods. Well, let's pick the first example that comes to mind, which would probably be a framework migration. Um, don't know if you agree with that, but I'm going to go with that anyway. It's, fine. it's got legs. <laughs> well, um, it, it's, it's exactly what a lot of people are actually in is some kind of framework migration, whether they're going from Vue to React or they're going from PHP to Angular, or well, not PHP to Angular, that's not what I meant, but in that kind of a thing. Yeah. You technically so, could go from PHP to Angular, but you'd have to have yeah, something yeah, else yeah. as well in the background to yeah. know yeah. or something. But anyway, yeah, go on, go on, Mike. Yeah. So I suppose that, I mean, that's the, that's a great first example. Let's just say, uh, I'm not gonna get too technical here, but you're a JavaScript developer and you've had many years developing applications in Angular and suddenly Angular is not the cool technology anymore, which is actually the case. Uh, React comes along, trumps it, and basically now everyone wants developers with React experience. And that's basically, well, that's a framework migration. Um, but not, not only have you got that, you've actually got migrations within that framework. So it's like migrationception. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've got we've got migrations from like major versions like version five to version six of Angular mm -hmm. had some significant changes in it using that as a specific example and that meant that we could have left a lot of our code as it was but we were required and this is just a standard maintenance upgrade really we were required to change a few things because they would become obsolete in the future so yeah it's i mean yeah. it happened to me very in fact with two projects recently a couple of weeks ago i had to migrate from i think five to eight which is the most recent version which luckily it wasn't too complicated it didn't take too long you know and it was fairly well written so you know i, I didn't have too much of a headache but yeah so I, th I would say that those two are the big cases especially going from a, a framework to another framework because that's that's a whole relearning piece i mean 
uh, upgrading and fixing deprecations if hopefully the thing that you're upgrading is maintained by someone who's nice and gives you those deprecation warnings, which I assume is the case with Angular. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, Angular is pretty nice about that. But I, we, we've actually had an RTFM on the show before where I got very, very pissed off because there was an upgrade and there were hidden things and, you know, variables Un- undocumented things that were not yeah. documented and it actually broke something I was working on. So, yeah. yeah. Be so, nice to us. <laughs> so specifically a migration for those who are still possibly confused about what it is. A migration is taking code that is either legacy, old uh, in some way, or even just different and changing that. So let's say you've got a, a piece of code that sends an email, simple class does something right that, you might need to you need to rewrite that or change it or upgrade parts of the code there's lots of different ways to do a migration which we'll go through in a minute but it's basically taking one format making it into another format that's it the, the, the very simplest terms i think yes <laughs> and of course with that then we get to the complexity Indeed we do, Indeed we do. <laughs> so Let's ask another question then, Matt. Why have you, you're, are you currently in the process of a migration? Yes, so I'm currently in the process of migrating a suite of microservices to, from .NET Classic to .NET Core, which is the latest version of .NET, which is uh, cross-platform compatible, all shiny, and... Um, such a sexy framework um, <laughs> compared to what it was. So, out of curiosity, go on, Did you want to make this change, or was this a change that came from bean counters? Was this a change that came because you felt like, oh gosh, we have to? Is it because of deprecation? Like, why this change? It's actually a really strange change because I would lo- I would love to say, hey, because I just want to. I want to work with the latest technologies. Who doesn't? But it's actually more to do with scalability. Um, I'm not going to go into, in fact, I could go into the details of it, but basically um, our hosting provider um, allows very, very high volume scaling, um, but only on Linux. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is exactly why we would migrate from a, a .NET Classic, which is Windows only. I mean, we can do high, you know, high horizontal and vertical scaling in Windows, but it's it's more about this new shiny framework and the re- and the use of resources on the host system as well. So in a Linux environment and this new shiny framework that's been written from the ground up, which isn't the same framework, it's not the latest version of .NET either. That's, yeah. some, that's something that I have to be clear about. There's yeah. still a use for classic .NET. .NET Core I, is all I've used for the last few years, to be fair, um, but mainly because we're Dockerizing and we're making it into, again, scalable containerized environments. Well, see, that's the thing. A a lot of, um, gosh, I remember way back in the day uh, when I started getting into development and things, you know, for me, it was C. It was the world of C, going back to Fortran, all the fun little toys that go with it. And every new version of an assembler or an an IDE that came out or a library or thing was like huge news. Now it's so commonplace, it's insane. But a lot of it seems to be driven by the hardware world and the changes that are happening there. Because I remember back in the day, if you wanted to have a server, 
you had a physical server. But we've actually gone so far into virtualization now that applications are, are just having to be developed with that in mind. And we've seen so many wonderful things in the world of containerization, which we've had a show about. Go back and watch. Um, but it's it seems... Um, it seems to me that the the migration that happens internally, or not necessarily always internally, but the hardware side is always going to have an impact on our devs. Well, not always. And that's the interesting thing about .NET Core specifically, in that mm -hmm. now we're in .NET Core. I mean, this is now. We don't have visibility of what the next big thing is going to be in the back-end world. Mark and I are both .NET developers. That's our, that's our bread and butter. That's the back-end technology that I assume Mark would also choose for anything that he does. We could choose okay. Node, you know, as a backend. That's another modern thing. We could use Java web services. NPM, the win. We could, there's no. a million different ways to do everything. That's the thing. Yes, that's but, that's a thing, yeah. But the, the beauty of this is that it is aimed, it is focused, this .NET Core is focused on being multi-platform. I could deploy it to a Mac server if I wanted to. And surprisingly, one of my clients has a Mac server that they spent a fortune on that they don't use. Yes, I'll tell you about that some other day. Um, but the, the thing is, is yeah, I'm it, sorry, that was just jaw hitting the floor for those of you who are not watching us and listening on the podcast. My jaw just literally hit my desk. I mean, <laughs> as a as a .NET guy, we've always been very Windows focused. How our whole world has been IIS, Internet Information Services, which is wi uh, Windows or Microsoft's web server, which is very configurable, but also very bloated and has lots of um, scaling problems in itself. We've got Azure now, which most of Azure is actually based on Linux, which is very interesting, uh, most of the, the back end of Azure. But the, the, the fact that we can deploy this on any platform now is what makes it really interesting. And it's a, it's a perfectly valid reason to migrate, bringing us back to migration. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that's my point, though. I mean, the, the technology and stuff is now there to make it possible. I mean, you didn't have .NET Core, like, what, eight years ago? No. Uh, yeah, um, probably a lot sooner than that. I can't actually remember exactly when it the first version was released out of uh, release I think, candidate. I think it was 2014, maybe 15. It's definitely after 2010. I just can't remember exactly when. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Mark, you, you made the comment that, you know, who doesn't want to be working on the latest and greatest? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I, I know people who get really excited by every new version of React or Angular, or in some cases, even PHP, because when PHP versions, there are some crazy things and the, the, like, yeah, anyway. But it's not always possible to do that. And it's not always sensible from a business perspective either. Uh, try convincing a bean counter to give you the actual um, budget to do some of the things that are required. And it can be like chasing like, a ghost just trying convincing a stakeholder who has no idea what you do on a daily basis and goes that that team over there that that basically run our business they cost us a hundred thousand dollars no actually hundred thousand. where am i in america and also hiring hiring really cheap people this yes. costs us a million dollar a million pounds per year a million yeah. dollar pounds per year um <laughs> That, that, that team over there costs us this much. How can we reduce that cost? And then they come to you and say, right, we need to do this this code migration so we can enable these new features or we can secure the application for that. You know, this is going to stop a potential maybe 
uh, hack that might happen in the future, you know, a security issue. And and they're like, well, why do you need extra time? To, why is that important? Is it affecting us right now? And it's it's very difficult to justify that to the finance it's, team. It's funny because uh, I've recently had a project within the past two years where I put in a request for the budget in order to do a migration because I knew a change was coming to PHP. And I knew that a change was coming in such a way that if I didn't do proactive, you know, development for this particular site, it would become vulnerable, it would break, functionality would be lost. And for the mission critical statement, because lives depend on this kind of a, a functioning site, um, I'm like, I need this stuff. And I chased them. I mean, I knew it was coming up, so I gave them a name, eight month lead time. And I chased them once a week, once a week. And it was only two weeks before this cutoff date that they gave me the approval. It's usually two weeks after, in my experience. I think that was quite lucky, to be fair. I think it's because I gave them a good seven and a half months of like, you know, just constantly going, you need to approve this budget. You need to approve this budget. Now, I happened to be in the case where I knew that the approval was coming. It's just they had to go through the board. They, the way they said they had to do a lot of different things. So I did a lot of the work on the side while I was waiting. And then when it came in and they're like, yes, here's your budget for it. And I'm like, oh, push. And it was just like, ta-da, and they loved me for it. So, you know, but you don't always get that luxury. So I'm not actually we got, sure we got to the point of why you're doing yes. the migration, Mark. What What is yes. the reason that you're, you're doing it? Just for, um, the, just for the scalability? Oh, he or said is scalability. It, yeah. Is it for so the multi-platform? Uh, scalability, we're not too bothered about the fact that it runs on Linux. It's only it's it's a means to an end for us. Right. So it's it's more to do with um, uh, load, um, and also it's um, it's a, a cost a bit of a cost saving exercise. Uh, last time I sort of weighed up um, the differences between running on Linux. I know this is going to be a very abstract term, but um, the differences between running on Linux and, and running on on Windows machines, I think. The actual running costs were reduced by two thirds, which um, is yeah. I mean, significant. You, that is a good reason to go back to to that. That gets the stakeholders' eyes open. That's where I always start. <laughs> yeah, well, that, well, you have to have the proof behind that as well. But was yeah. that licensing? Well, or yeah, um, yeah. It'll be so licensing and also the efficiency of the hardware that it has to run on, or the under yeah. underlying operating system calls that it needs to run the same processes on top of it. Yeah. yeah. Unless Mark has any other reasons for, I mean, um, no, that's basically it. I think it is mostly licensing. Um, we just know that it's more expensive to run Windows boxes uh, as opposed to Linux, um, and and that's that's good enough for the stakeholders. So it's good enough for me. Um, so then, in that of curiosity, I mean, that's sort of the financial side. Is there actually, have, or are you seeing an improvement in the actual speed of the system that you're developing itself, or like? Is there, my brain just can't remember the process speeds and like stuff. Um, my brain can't. Resource overhead. So thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I couldn't think of the word resource. Yeah. So in, it, so it takes about six minutes for a window, one of our windows machines to kind of boot up and be ready. We do various things during that initialization. So that's probably not as low as it could be. Um, but you're talking the equivalent. Um, we're, essentially moving to AWS Fargate. Um, the equivalent is about six seconds yeah. to spin up a workable, runnable instance with our application on. I, guess, I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, the world we live in, I'm, yeah. my mind is just constantly blown. 
there are yeah. there are different i mean i i'm not going to windows bash here it's 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 easy to do because it's easy for windows to to be uh deemed as slower but when you when you look at where windows is going if mm. you're talking about a, a virtual server or a virtual machine then yes that's going to take a while to boot up and that is the classic way of doing things if you go to a, a vps or a virtualized windows environment or a hyper uh, hypervisor windows environment it's still going to be slower than the linux alternative it's still going to be cost going to cost more than the linux alternative because of the licensing model but you can get things running as quickly especially with server core and, and that kind of thing we're getting a bit too technical here a bit too yeah, specific right. but it's interesting it's interesting that that's your reason because i've seen many 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 reasons in the past to migrate the trend at the moment is to going to go into this cloud-based um uh, horizontally capable horizontal scaling capable environment I, one of my tasks at the moment is actually to look at horizontal scaling for future uh, but we don't have any idea about how many people are going to use the system. So we're in a different place for you where you've got actual metrics and you can probably do some A-B tests uh, against against what you've currently got and then what you're you know working towards and yeah. use that as proof. Okay. So you have your, in your particular case, you have your framework migrations. Mm -hmm. And you have, you're doing it for scalability and you're basically, you're not changing from like bash to like go or something like that. This is sort of a, almost a uh, evolution of your framework. Sort yes, of. No, it's, that's it's, the thing. it's sort of like you an can, evolution. Uh, I mean, uh, the untrained, the untrained eye can look at .NET Classic, which is still a legit. It's called Classic because I think they're trying to deprecate it in the world's eye because Microsoft are very much moving towards the Linux world these days. They're, yeah, they are. The the new you know the new CEO is very uh, is very open source, very kind of he's pushing that world, and they need to. To be fair, they have to be more open with the with the current state of technology or the current where they were that. previously was very closed. Like Apple is Apple is a very closed company when it comes to their development practices. They're not enterprise friendly. Microsoft these days are very enterprise friendly and they always they kind of have been and that's where they make their money but the .NET classic migration to .NET Core .NET Core is a very it used used to have less features I think it's it's pretty much caught up now from my experience I haven't run into any any real issues with it um you know not having support not having library support and everything's moving restful so WCF isn't as important as it used to be again we're getting a bit too technical there but oh WCF it's well, again, WCF still has a very valid use case in some enterprises. It just really depends on. Well, that, that, I can't. We can say that about absolutely everything. But mm. my my point, though, I was <laughs> leading to a trend. question. But we're oh god, <laughs> Cobalt. <laughs> pearl, uh, even pearl. I mean, pearl still gets used some places, but oof. oh, pearl, pearl is actually used in quite a few places. But um, yes, my question for you is: in this process, what challenges are you facing? Um, because it sounds like you're mid-process, so you've already done the project planning for this. Or are you in the project planning phase? I'm in the implementation phase. Um, so I'm, the mid right. I'm, in the, I'm in the midst of it. Um, you're in the mud. Yeah, I'm in the mud. Yeah, help me. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, to be honest, most of the challenges I've faced is the sort of the shift in thinking rather than the actual um, migration itself. Because syntactically, 
it's it's basically the same language. I mean, it is the same language. There's not that many pitfalls. Um, I did try to use a library which just hasn't been ported over yet, and that was like 95% of the way of converting a microservice, and I just sort of went, oh, God, I really need it. Um, that was system.drawing, which is coming in the next yep. version. But, uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, getting that far along and then just thinking, because um, I just thought, Oh, I don't. I don't use. I don't use that for anything. And then I think I used it for like a logo resizing or something. But it was something. really important for that specific <laughs> user. And it's like, right, I'm gonna have to find some alternative. Yeah. And and that's that was what .NET Core was when it was in its first couple of iterations. Yeah. Very very difficult to to do an implementation. But we've passed that, and there's only a few now. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're yeah we're over the hump. There's a, there's still a few things which are kind of I can't see any evidence for them for um. For there being a suitable alternative, um, I don't want to get too technical. But, the, yeah. the comparison, the comparison I can make between the two versions, the main difference was the way that you build services. You build the services up from scratch. Now there was an implementation in .NET Classic that also did that, but it wasn't very well supported, and it wasn't particularly. It wasn't pushed by Microsoft because they wanted to push it in the new .NET Core version. Um, so you, instead of instead of having a lot of magic happen when you create a project in .NET Classic and you click play or you you run the service um, in IIS and it it hosts it and it just works you know you just create some controllers and something now you have to all .NET Core projects are all the same they're all, they all essentially are console applications and you build what you need if you need it to be a CLI executable you can build that. Um, if you want it to be a web service, you can build that with um, plugins. I can't remember what they call them, the, the names of the... Um... Middleware? Yeah, middleware, that's it, yeah. Um, and that, Or you can make a, a, a desktop application with it as well. There's lots of other alternatives as well, and there's loads of people that have built on top of this, and it's very easy to see what's been built, but it can get very messy very, very quickly to initialize it. There's a way to organize it. I've kind of developed myself, but I'm sure other people have developed their own ways as well. That's the main difference. Everything else mm -hmm. is very, very similar. Very similar. So, so in your particular case, it's it's those little missing library sets and things that you're, you're just like, oh, I used it once, but now I, yeah, 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 one of those. What about you, Chris? What about me? What Which which bit? I just talked what, all what over Mark then. Well, you just... <laughs> Well, you just thought it would work. I'm curious what challenges you may have faced when doing a migration. Oh, God. It depends on the type of migration. And that's something we haven't really covered. There's, we were talking about a framework migration at the moment, which is migrating from an old version to a new-ish uh, kind of version. I've migrated from, like, let's take a JavaScript framework. We use an example of Vue to Angular or Angular to Vue. We've, got, we've also got a migration from AngularJS to Angular which doesn't make much sense, but Angular 2, as some people call it, but it is officially called Angular. Angular JS and Angular are two entirely separate animals. It's it's like going, well, the same goes for a lot more, loads of other JS frameworks. Backbone, if you wanted to go from Backbone to Angular JS, back when that was the migration path, hmm. or Knockout to Angular JS, it is essentially a rewrite, an entire rewrite of the application. There are some bits of logic you can take but the way that you use the frameworks are very very different um it's like again moving from trying to write something in c and then trying to write something in c plus plus the two different animals 
They've got some similarities. I learned those right after each other, and my brain exploded. I don't know them, but I know. And then I discovered C sharp, and I was like, oh. I I don't know them, but I know enough about C and C++ to know that they are drastically different. They've got similar syntax, but C++ is object-orientated, and C C is not. Um, I don't know exactly what you would call C. It's not functional, so I don't don't know exactly, but it's not. it's, It's... We've got these... We've, I've, I've been involved in so many migrations, it's hard to tell. I've had uh, legacy code migrations where we've taken not just an old framework, but we've rewritten an application entirely because it's completely ins- unsuitable or it's it's now monolithic. And, it, it, you know, it's we've got new framework, uh, not just new frameworks, we've got new patterns, uh, new software patterns that are trendy. CQRS is the big thing. Oh, maybe, maybe it's been superseded by something by now, but last time I was hit in the face by this, a new design pattern it was cqrs and i was like well what's this this is a brand new acronym i've not heard of read it up and i realized i've been doing it for years but not officially you know it's <laughs> yeah. it's one of them things like right so i don't know how to write it i don't know how to write it exactly like martin fowler tells me it should be written or something but you know it's <laughs> it's about it's about making we're constantly improving ourselves when we do a migration and we're constantly making yeah making steps in the right direction because software and the IT industry is still very new. It is taken over the world, but we are junior in comparison to the vast majority of other industries in the world. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think the, um, you said a thing, I had a thought and it went out the window. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to bring up the question that Ethercall has asked. I was just going to say that because that's a, actually something I, I wanted to talk about as well. Thing. Um, and Ethercall has asked, how do you sensibly know when it's time to migrate from one system to another? Um, and that's what my thought was. You were talking about how you did the migration and never mind, it's gone again. Never mind. I, so how do, brain how, how do you is sense- not working today. How do you sensibly know when it's time to migrate from one system to another? Now, uh, there's so many connotations with that sentence. What kind of system? I mean, we've got the different types of migration. So let's quickly go over the different types of migrations. We've got legacy, framework, legacy code changes, framework. Uh, We've got platform migrations, which you can consider as as framework, but it's, for example, migrating from Windows to Linux. You sometimes Mm. don't have the choice, like .NET Core, if we just mig- if we had a .NET Core application, we wanted to move that into from the Linux environment. God knows why you'd want to do that, but from the Linux environment into a Windows environment, you're going to have some changes, but it's going to be very minimal that migration. Yeah, um, there's there's definitely going to be some changes because there's things like um, file paths are dealt with differently, and if you don't if you don't write them in a uh, generic fashion, it's difficult for us to to just copy and paste or, or deploy an application to a new a new platform. Uh, then we've got things like- I want like, this compile. Yeah. I want this compile. Well, it'll compile. It just will break as soon as you try and access the, res- the third party resource. You're, it, the thing is oh, your integration God. tests might even pass because your integration tests are probably running on a Linux server, but then you deploy right. it to a Windows server and it suddenly breaks. So this is, this is every time we design something as a, as a developer, we want to be looking at making it as generic as we humanly can but then you're also hit by constraints and the amount of time that you spend on each test and uh, all of that um so, yeah going back to what chris is saying here we have the legacy the platform the framework the language migration as so, well. so again that's going from something like c to c plus plus we've got it's not just a that's not a framework migration 
Really? Not really. No. Or is it? I mean, is it? You're changing I, I, compilers? See, so, well, <laughs> see this, this is the thing. I mean, when you look at um, an application that you design gaming, let's go to gaming really quick, Chris. You've got experience in Unity. You've got experience doing gaming and things like that. If you swapped from, say, Unity to, uh, I don't know, Crisis, Chrysalis, what are the other game engines Crisis, that are out there? Unreal. Cur yeah. Unreal, whatever, what have you. Would you personally consider that a framework migration? Or would you consider that a platform migration? Or would you consider that a language migration? That's all three. Uh, it's all types of... That's a, that's an entire rewrite. There is very little, unless it's an algorithm. Now, we, we us developers, love this world, algorithm. And I, I love algorithms. I'm they working, make the world go round. I'm working with academics at the moment, and I swear to God, I've never heard anybody say algorithm as much as these guys. Oh. They, it's, it's their world, is algorithms. And But the, the algorithm is, is the way we would implement something. It's not the framework, the language, or anything. We can take the algorithms if we've written something complicated and migrate mm -hmm. that over and translate it into the new code. But the framework, the language, everything, the way that we create, like in a game, in a computer game, you instantiate game objects and create them. The, the way that, that that is done is different in every every single engine. So that's an okay. engine migration. <laughs> it's that's, an... That's, that's basically, I now migrate. Okay, yeah. so going back so, to Ethercall's question yeah. about the sensibly no when it's time to move from one system to another. Let's start with the worst case scenario. Everything stops working. Fix it. <laughs> stick a, stick, sticky plaster on the problem. Now, honestly, the, the the only way to really sensibly answer this question, unless Mark has another way of answering this, is when it needs it. We all want to work on new code. But, yeah. When the oh. business needs it. It's even well, a better way of saying it. Well, see, this is the thing. We have had shows where we've talked about, you know, team members coming on and they have just finished school or come from someplace that's pure bleeding edge and you're still working with what they would consider a legacy system and they're like we need to change this we need to change and things never get finished because there's this constant need to be bleeding edge need to be bleeding edge need to be bleeding edge which is bad i think what we should do instead of trying to say how but what questions should you be asking you should be asking is is there a cost associated with this migration. Mark has already answered these questions pretty much. It's yeah. are there a cost associated <laughs> with it. Is there a need for it technically for us to migrate it? You cannot and you should not ever migrate because you want to. Because you feel oh, like it's God. if it's a legacy system, legacy systems are perfectly fine to work with if they work and make money for the business. But they're not I mean they're not nice to There's work still on. Still a market for COBOL. Yeah, I mean <laughs> you know Legacy can be .NET Classic. That's the thing. It doesn't. Well, Legacy can be the last version of Angular. It depends. It people call be, yes. People call the system yeah. Legacy because they don't like it anymore. <laughs> That's the well, yeah, Legacy can be the thing that is like twenty years old, or it could be the thing that you developed last year. Like Legacy is completely subjective in its terminology. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah, subjective is the best way to describe it. Um, yeah. What, do you, what think... do you think, Mark? What do you think is a good reason to, or, or what at what point? Is a good point to migrate. Is there is there a breaking point? I think there's a if you break scale so scalability and and cost are both breaking points. I would say that there's other ones that kind of fly under the radar. Um, and this could sound really weird because I would never say this would prompt a migration, but it's a contributing factor. 
um, and that is recruitment. Um, Ooh, CV-driven development. Yeah, well, not for me. I'm, I'm talking as from the business point of view. Um, I've had had that conversation before as in, hey, if I was on the market looking right now, why would I ever take a .NET Classic job when I could just take a .NET Core job and I would work with the latest framework? Like you lose out on the best candidates because the best candidates want to use the latest technology if they're going to join a company. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I I don't know. Maybe it's because Chris and I are consultants and freelancers and things like that. But a lot of the developers that I know, not you counting, Mark, because you seem to be sort of like, I don't know. A tr the thing is, there's a trendy developer and then there's a good developer. And a good developer mm. knows what the business wants. And I keep going back to this. I have realized over the years that I used to be an obstinate twat when it came to my development <laughs> practices. I wanted to work with the latest technologies. I wanted to do this. But I also appreciate that the needs of the business come first over everything else. I don't want to take a job that's legacy. No, I don't want to. But if the company's right and the culture's right, that just because they're working on legacy code doesn't mean that they've got a, a, an invalid culture. But that doesn't mean you're not going to get someone on board either i just well see this this is the thing if and maybe it's it's a matter of perspective if you want to make a boatload of money as a developer you need to go hardcore niche because there are going to be jobs out there for those COBOL developers for a system that has been running for 20 plus years and it literally cannot change for some silly reason that something happened. I can't remember, there was someone who told me about it like two years ago, and they gave me an example for why they could not leave the COBOL system. And my brain just exploded. Their developers in that particular field are paid mint. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you really wanna go that crazy, feel free to go niche, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> However, your statement, Chris, about um, you know it's whatever's best for the business, it's what'll get people in the seats. Like, for example, we, in the show that you had last week, where I saw that I wasn't here, you guys were talking about those people who come in to bolster their workforce really quick to get a project pushed out, doing some kind of part of the dev thing, and then they're gone. Sometimes they do that because they can't find anyone to come in and work on legacy versus bleeding edge. And sometimes, you know, it's... I can understand how terrifying it can be for recruiters and we'll be having a recruiter on at some point in time so we can talk about this good stuff. But um, when you have a business need to have your systems up and running and functional and you need it and it's, I don't know, let's just say it's in like C, okay? And it can't be migrated, it can't be ported either due to budget constraints or because of something the way that was written or a system or the Linux box it's on, whatever. And in this particular case, you're trying to find someone to fill that role and nobody bites. Nobody bites at all. I have exactly that problem at the moment. It's not, it's not legacy code, but it's so niche that it requires, it requires somebody who, who doesn't really exist. It requires people who have skills in two different worlds, three different worlds, even potentially. Wow. And it's, it's a, I've never met anybody. I mean, I'm the closest they're going to get to it, but I'm still not comfortable in that particular environment, you know. Um, Ethricol's just said something quite interesting. Yeah, he has, and my brain just... Legacy, legacy is a thorn in my side. Dev's not wanting to touch it. 
it's required, yet it exposes the business to risks due to it being old, unsupported technology. Now, that's another reason to migrate is security. We've security. already mentioned it. Security and mm -hmm. support as well going forward. Oh, yeah. And oh, my gosh. Yeah. I understand devs not wanting to touch it, but, you know, just d deal with it. It's your job. I'm sorry, but we all have to touch code that we don't... I've touched so many bits of code in, re in the recent years that... I've not been an expert in, but it's my job to understand it and figure out what it does and, and you know, I, and not support it because I'm not a support guy. I'm a consultant, but I I still need to look at it. I still need to install things on my computer and, and slow it down a little bit. And, oh, you know, boo-hoo. Oh, Jesus Christ. But see, here's the thing, Chris. You're perfect. And this is something <laughs> we understand. But, you know, I know a lot of developers who will not touch that stuff. They just won't. They're scared like, of touching it. This is the tech so, debt that Mark was actually talking about last time we was on the show. Yes. I mean, tech debt, oh man, tech debt, like, that's a, yeah, yeah, it's a total show into itself. We've done it. Intense. It's all right. You, you missed that one, Chelsea. No, I didn't miss it. I have watched. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you weren't yes. here. <laughs> no, but I was here in spirit, I promise. Of course. Uh, but no, to me, when you find yourself in a situation where you're that desperate, where it, the actual reason why you're having to do some kind of migration is more desperation than anything else, and it's business desperation, I feel that is actually a place where things can go downhill really, really quickly. Because you could get yourself a fantastic paper warrior in there who's going to be like, yeah, this is how we should do it. And then as you start hiring, you bring in people and they're like, yeah, this is not the right system. And no one wants to listen to them. Again, it's all it's all different places. But mm. eh. yeah. I don't know. It's 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 a it's a really, really weird one. I mean, you just said, Mark, that if you went to go look for a job right now, you would be looking for a classic job or would you be looking for a core? Doctor? It would be preferable. I, I wouldn't say no to a .NET classic job. I think I agree with Chris. It's all about the culture. I wouldn't join a, a company who were using .NET Core, um, but they were a toxic company or it was terrible working conditions. Working conditions <laughs> always trump uh, the framework for me anyway. But It should for everybody. There is this misconception, really though, that developers, that the, the, in a developer's mind, in a lot of developers' minds, that they need to have that specific experience on their CV. They need to have the latest stuff on there. I often, as long as I can sell myself and say that I'm capable of working in this new technology and prove in you know in the short interview that I have that I'm capable of working in it, I mean, I could lie to them. I could tell them that I've done work in that and convince them that I've done work in that. But when they start asking me technical questions around it, I might get a little bit stuck. I mean, for God's sake, before I had an ang my, my first Angular job, completely I had never touched it I did a technical test online and I got nine out of ten or whatever it was for the for the test never touched it before in my life but I managed to to wang it wangle it went into the interview and got the tech lead job <laughs> it, but it, it doesn't matter as long as you know how to program you know and you're yeah. The, the breadth of knowledge is more interesting to me than than limit you know limited knowledge as a someone who recruits people mm. See, to me, that's, I think, the key. And one of the things that if anyone who is listening to us ever, and this is if this is the only thing you ever take away from it, if you understand the very basics, and by very basics, I mean 
how variables work, how memory works, how you store things, how you output things. If you kind of get that and understand a bit of the algorithm, you can do anything in any language. You just have to learn how that language translates what you're trying to get that algorithm to do. And I'm using algorithm on purpose. I'm I'm a .NET expert, but I don't know everything about .NET. I have to constantly have references of- It is of impossible. The, it it's is ridiculous to know- It is impossible to know everything about everything in this day and age. I'm sorry. I, I call bullshit on anyone who sits there and says, I know everything. It's impossible. It's, this is why I hate interviews when someone asks me a very specific question, like how does the group, a link group by work? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I'll figure it out while I'm writing it. You know, I know yeah. when to use it. If you ask me phrase the question slightly differently, I might be able to answer it better. But I don't know. I don't know the syntax off the top of my head. Isn't this, it? This is why technical Root, tests are oh, both good lambda. and bad. Oh. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's a whole new episode, isn't it? Really? <laughs> it is. It, it is. is. So I have a quick question for you then, Mark, before we move into doing our TFM. If you had a piece of advice you could offer anybody who is considering migration, planning migration, implementing migration, or doing the cleanup of a migration, is there any piece of advice you would give them? Um, start small. In fact, no. Um, yes, yes, I'm just contradicting myself. Have you... Have say, you have you heard of a strangler application? No. Is it like a spike? Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, God, spikes. Oh, I'm in God. the middle of trying to explain what spikes are to <laughs> stakeholders. My God. But um, uh, no, a strangler application is an application that sits over the top of an existing application. Not necessarily technically, but it might uh, operate in unison at the same time uh, as it until you finish the migration. That's, I mean, it's a simple way of, of looking at it. But okay. it's, uh, it's yeah. a... It's a way to migrate without it being too uh, disjointed and too jolty, you know. It gives you the opportunity, especially, uh, I mean, the piece of advice I would give is don't forget the migration of the data you had to the new system and your development and planning process. Because, yeah, that's important. But the Strangler application actually helps with something like that. So, Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, Having didn't let you actually give any advice, that. Mark. What, what in your yeah. experience, what well, would have made your start small? Yes, no, yes. What, what would you? What would um, if you'd have known something twelve months ago? I presume you've been doing this migration for a while. Yeah. If, if um, twelve months ago, what you what what would you say to yourself now? I would probably say consider the things around the actual migration um, are worth or a lot more expensive. Sorry, than the actual implementation of the migration so the amount of stuff i've had to kind of wrangle with our ci server our deployment server that is honestly that's probably about half of the effort and um, just converting how we were deploying packages to how we're deploying packages now um the publishing of resources that kind of that kind of thing and i bet there's been an implication on your processes as well your internal processes and the way that you uh, do things like maybe even ticketing and uh, I don't know if that's been affected. Not to the extent of ticketing, but definitely testing, um, functional testing, uh, integration testing, uh, not really unit testing to be perfectly honest, but yeah, it's, it's a migration this big has, um, has affected far more than you can anticipate. And I actually kind of wish I started 
if I was going to do it again, I'd do it. I'd do a very small migration to kind of test the water, and then I'd st- and then I'd go move on to the hardest possible migration because um, I kind of inadvertently left that to one of the last <laughs> migrations. Right. So one of the hardest ones is, and after you've been doing it for twelve months, you you're kind of exhausted. Um, yeah. So I wish I'd kind of did it in that sort of very small and then very large sort of um, order. Not really in order, I suppose, but at least, you know, small and then large. Mm. Have you had the beauty yeah. of project management with this or are you a self-managing <laughs> team? Uh, we're self-managing, um, okay. which is amazing. We've got a product owner, um, but we don't have a, uh, a, what were you calling them, bean counter? We don't have a, a bean counter who drinks coffee from Starbucks coming in every day with who inexplicably has a briefcase. We don't have any of that. I think Mark, Mark thinks quite highly of project managers, but that sounds... Uh, no, maybe we should do an episode bean about counters. how much... Bean counters are accountants. They're the ones who signed a check oh. for the oh. budget. That's a bean counter. Well, well, that, well, I don't know what this what this person would be called. Basically, in my experience, not very helpful. Um, but, wow. Uh, you haven't worked with good project leads then, or project managers. Project or- The thing is, product owners in a scrum process are actually the project managers. And yeah. usually that means that the se- the way that the, the team is, dist- the, the work is distributed across the team is self-managing. The team mm. managed to get to the output themselves and they can actually be quite visible with the stakeholders as well. Does that mean they could be contractors? Uh, there could be, yeah. Like they're just a development team member. There's only three roles defined in a Scrum process. We need to do a Scrum episode because I'm an expert on Scrum now. Well, well, <laughs> tell you what, I'll put it on our list. Yeah, we're absolutely. kind of booked for the next couple of episodes, but yeah. we're we are now at the point where it's time for the RTFM of our show, and and this is where we get a chance to rant, rave, complain, and it can be about absolutely anything. It does not necessarily have to be dev or computer related. Do you have an RTFM? And I see a smile on your face. I'm going to have to go with you. You're going to go with me first? Yes, you have a smile on your face. It usually means that there's something that you've just thought of that might be fun or mildly annoying that you wish to just get off your chest. Um, Yeah, so it's completely unrelated. In fact, it is related to to developers. um, And it's kind of... See, I'm I'm gonna put me and Chris in a bracket of this doesn't apply to us because. <laughs> oh wow! Great to leave me in. But you can you can come in the bracket as well. You're not a developer, yeah. Josie. Oh, is this no girls allowed <laughs> type of a thing, or like is it because I don't do .NET Core that I'm no, it's, no, that's what it is. <laughs> in in general, so my my sort of bugbear of the week is developer communication. How dare oh. you take mine? Was that yours? Literally, it was <laughs> going to be the community. Oh, wow. Yeah. Evil. Uh, developers are so bad at communicating. It's, it's, it's actually kind of unbelievable at times. Um, that is communicating when they've started something, when they're having trouble, and when they're finished. I mean, it's the whole three-stage process. Um, so, Yeah. I mean, that's basically my so, see, I, I would I would not say just developers. I'd say humans in general have a really bad time communicating. I say this because mine based is sort of like that, except it comes from the client perspective. I have had a client say that on their website, they want live photos. Do you know what a live photo is? Uh, live models? 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Like a screen? Photo. Oh, no. They, they said live photo and video. So what's live photo? It, I don't know. Is it a GIF? Is that a, a snapshot? I haven't. I have, I have requested, you know, please explain, show example. And they sent me to a website with like 90 things. And I'm like, no, no, no. Specific example. It's like <laughs> communication. It's like. Someone gets in their brain, it makes a difference whether they're a developer or a client, someone fresh out of school, they'll get a term in their brain for what they're doing and they will not let it go. And they expect everyone else to know exactly what they're talking about. And it's like, no, the entire purpose of communication is to speak in a way that helps the person you are speaking to understand what you're saying. And if you are not allowing for that type of an engagement, you're talking at someone, yeah. not actually You're having dictating. communication. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I am, I'm this close to firing, like this close. I, I'm, I'm waiting for that straw, and I'm, I'm, I'm just like maybe that straw is going to come now. Maybe it's going to come later. But it's just, I'm just like, what? Please, please. Yeah. <laughs> Tiltepe says can... a king slash developer on every hill. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I have a I'm going to use a, a communication one just to just to feel like part of the team just to feel like part of the podcast. Um, I'm I I I I developer communication, but I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to use stakeholder understanding here. I've got um, currently got problems um, with people making decisions that are valid decisions, but not communicating those decisions to people in any meaningful way. So there might be a decision that people have been on holiday for a couple of weeks. While they're on holiday, they make a decision and they have, you know, they're a stakeholder, so they speak to the other stakeholders even when they're on holiday, because that does happen. And they make a decision and then they don't tell anybody in the team. And then when we, you know, we've been working on something for three weeks or whatever, and they come in and kind of just drop this bombshell like they are, they've already communicated it. And it's like, Right, so what? Not, not they don't ask why something hasn't happened, but they go, oh, and then, then this has been done, and and this is what we're doing, and then everyone's like, what? That's completely changed everything that we've been working on for the last God knows how many how many months or whatever. Uh, you know, it, communication to me is absolute key. Nobody is too busy to communicate. Nobody is too busy to drop a quick email to somebody to say we need a quick chat about this or you know kick up a quick skype meet not skype don't use skype um a quick a quick meeting of some description and yes. you know it's i'm an over communicator if anything i i probably annoy people with the amount of detail i put into things i spent no. i spent the last no. the last god knows how many months detailing decisions and detailing and documenting everything that is a blocker that is stopping people from doing their job. All of these frustrations that are, are building up is all around communication. And it's so, so important, not just in the business world. I mean, if you're making money off or you're trying to make money off something, it's paramount that everybody on your team is on your team and you get this... better teamwork by communicating with each other. You get the this... less heads butting because they know what's going on. You know? the, the problem is that we, we we live in a world or we even work in a world where people can get to a point of apathy and that can come from stakeholders on down to, you know, the person who is changing the ink in your fax machine, if 
you still use fax machines. But, you know, the moment you get any one person who has some form of apathy in any particular area, all of a sudden communication just goes downhill because they're just like, yeah, yeah. But we're going to get too far off and go into an entire new episode if we keep up that topic of conversation. So instead, we're at the end of our show. A very big thank you to absolutely everybody in the Twitch chat for joining in from Tultepe, Salako, and Vina, Ethrical. And thank you to everyone who is listening in on our podcast in the future. Finally, Mark, you rock, even though you wouldn't let me join your bracket. I, I love you in the bracket. <laughs> yes, yes but it, you've, you've left me out of the communication bracket at first, which of course is very sad and depressing, but that's okay. I'll get back at you. Um, but yes, I hope you've enjoyed joining us again, knowing that we'll have to have you come back. Do you have anything you want to pimp out? People, places, books, videos, your own Twitter, your own projects? No one wants to go on source? his Twitter. No, oh, you don't want to go on my Twitter. <laughs> that's it he's gonna oh. get a million followers now he said that. <laughs> it's unbearable <laughs> i um, love that you think we have that much sway chris <laughs> well you know we're influencers <laughs> <laughs> oh god don't. there you go there's my rtfm influencers oh, oh god oh. yes anyway, anyway. mark yeah. uh, nothing to pimp for myself no okay. I, I never pimp myself though i'm not i'm a kept man yeah I, uh... <laughs> whatever that means there's, a, there's always something going on that's in fact you know most guests that come on don't really have anything to pimp they do they're all you know they work and then they're boring lives really but you know outside well, of, outside that's, of work that's okay we actually have people who are also very involved in the open source communities and, and we have they people might who run wanna, their own business as well so. and we do have people who run their own businesses so it sometimes people have a pimp thing they want to pimp and sometimes they're kept i guess yeah. to use mark's terms and uh, speak <laughs> speaking of pimping it's time for us to shamelessly pimp our own social channels etc uh, you can visit our website on www.dnistream.live for links to all our social media channels discord dev chat and all the podcast discovery platforms on the planet. Uh, you can also use it to contact us for any reason. If you want to be a guest on the show, you've got anything interesting to say, or you want to tell us to shut up or tell us to be a bit more, a bit less rambly, please do. We want communication. We want communication. Communicate with us via our website contact form. <laughs> and Josie's lost it, so I might have to finish the show. No, I'm sorry. Salako <laughs> says, now you have to do an obligatory influencer bomb shot on the beach. <laughs> and Tepe says, or running some fragile nature area or some other scandal. <laughs> and that just set me off. Because I'm just like, <laughs> I just put, oh, wow. I Never mind. My mind went into, like, yeah. you know, you know, functions <laughs> and a whole bunch of, like, I, I went code-wise. And it just, ah. Uh. Anyway, yes. All left is to say goodbye to you all amazing people. We hope to see you guys next week, 7 p.m. UK time, here on twitch.tv slash DNI stream. We love you. Bye! Bye. <laughs>